Welcome to Esports Odyssey, a podcast dedicated to making esports simpler by breaking it down and learning from the best. On this show, we talk to successful people from within the esports ecosystem to see what sets them apart from the rest. Today, we're talking to Desi, someone who's been in and around esports, especially competitive card games for a long, long time. Some commentary in there, some hosting, a lot of sort of competitive play, and uh, obviously streaming very recently as well. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Uh, happy to have you. Let's get straight into the, the good stuff. We always like to start with people's backgrounds. So looking at the fact that you're now sort of a competitive card game player and streamer, what what got you into games in the first place, uh, both video games and then uh, specifically card games? Yeah, so I've been playing games, you know, like most people in this industry, you know, everyone has in their bio, they're like, oh, yeah, I grew up playing like uh, Pokemon Yellow, Pokemon Blue and stuff like that. And my story is really no different. You know, w- when I was younger, uh, I believe when I was in, I think it was in first grade during Christmas, uh, my aunts and uncles, they didn't have many nieces and nephews at the time. It was just uh, my brothers and I. And for that Christmas, we actually got three Super Nintendos because, you know, they didn't like uh, orchestrate with themselves and plan out what gifts they were going to get. So we ended up getting three uh, Super Nintendos and we weren't rich by any means, you know. I was living at my mm-hmm. grandmother's house and uh, we had like our really, really cheap television with like the antenna and everything and um, we had our Super Nintendo and we played a lot of Contra, like some Battletoads and Joust and stuff like that. And that was the beginning of, I guess, um, my gaming. And, um, you know, growing up, God bless parents who who always buy their kids uh, video game consoles and uh, and video games, even though, you know, even even when, you know, you're trying to make ends meet, we, we're living in apartment complexes and stuff like that, hmm. especially God bless these parents who uh, buy games when they don't want their kids to even play games in the first place. So without that, I definitely would not have uh, got into where I am today as the as the gamer I am today. Nintendo sixty four, I loved playing. Uh, I loved playing Pokemon Snap. Later on, uh, it was like PlayStation one, and I loved playing Digimon World and Digimon World two. I was a huge fan of those since uh, I also watched those on TV. So I remember those games. Yeah, that was the best. So what was your first? Uh, what was your first? competitive game your first multiplayer game or or rather the first game you kind of got competitive in yeah so i believe that the first game i actually got competitive in um which not not too many people know about is actually a tetris i think i was 17 years old i moved back here to texas from california and i went to this anime convention called anime matsurikon and during that weekend i actually never made it past the entrance because right there at the entrance there was a, a tetris grandmaster um cabinet hmm. and i spent the entire weekend sitting there at that cabinet playing a i believe it was tgm2 then after that uh, i got really into like online competitive uh, tetris and i ended up under the alias of uh, chopin so i was chopin of tetris back then before desi and uh, i actually i actually created and developed a lot of the techniques that people are still using like over a decade later to this day oh wow i didn't even know that about you yeah so i used to have like a bunch of records and stuff and um in the community people still People still, uh, you know, ask around about Chopin of Tetris. Have you have you played any Tetris 99? I have not played any Tetris 99. That's 
that's mainly because I really don't want to get a Nintendo Switch because I know that that will destroy my streaming career because <laughs> I will just... You could you could stream it. Yeah, I could stream it, but it's not magic. And most people just come to me to watch magic at, at the moment, so... That's fair enough. The craziest thing I've seen in Tetris are, are those speedruns every year at AGDQ. Yeah, those are my old friends doing that. <laughs> my old Tetris colleagues. That's crazy. We used to... Uh, we used to go to uh, the Tetris World Championships, and we got first and second place in every single category. So, uh, yeah, that was some good times. That was a long time ago as well. So after after that, what was your next game? How did you move on from Tetris uh, into card games, I guess? Was that the next yeah. thing? Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, it was actually just a little bit before I started to play Magic the Gathering. I actually got into this old, uh, like, like this old Chinese game called Mahjong. So it's this game where you have four people sitting at a table and uh, you play with like tiles, but the tiles mm-hmm. are essentially cards, right? It's just like thick cards. Yeah, um, it's a little bit like dominoes, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's so it's like dominoes. And I got really addicted to that. I I like I started uh, climbing the ranks on like online uh, Mahjong sites and I ended up playing like a bunch of different uh, styles of it as well from like Chinese official to Japanese Mahjong to like Hong Kong Mahjong. And uh, it was around this time where my brothers, my brothers were playing this uh, this a nerdy card game. I was always, you know, I grew up playing Pokemon cards. I grew up playing Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Hmm. And in the libraries, I always saw these straight up nerds playing this card game called Magic the Gathering with these ugly card backs. And they're like, you know, really, really ugly art and stuff like that. And I was like, what the heck? What is this nerdy stuff here? One day, my brothers, uh, my brothers and their friend, Darren, they essentially, I don't know, somehow they convinced me to play a little bit of Magic. And uh, from that moment, I don't think I slept for about like 48 hours. <laughs> I was just like staying up, trying to build decks and just uh, going through all all of their card collections and stuff like that. I was I was hooked immediately. What a nerd. Yeah, what a nerd. I became, you know, the, the, the thing you hate. A nerd. Yeah, a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and so after that, I got really into Magic the Gathering. I, I ended up going to like local game stores and stuff. Uh, in a very short amount of time, um, I got to a level where I was like winning these pre-release events at at my local game stores here in Houston. And it's like, okay, well, I paid like $25 for the pre-release event. And I walked home with like $300 worth of like, uh, you know, Magic the Gathering cards as, yeah. a, as a prize. For the next few years, I really got into that. Like I, I basically lived, slept Magic the Gathering. It was a lot of fun. I traveled around the U.S. with uh, some of my friends, tournaments and stuff, and I spent basically every single night at the local game store, and uh, even after closing hours, we would stay there until like 4 a.m. kind of thing. So that lasted up until I uh, got accepted into undergraduate in England at Durham University. I think at this time I was like 21 years old. I got accepted to go to school in uh, Northeast England at a really prestigious university. I moved away from Houston there and I moved over to England. In this time, it made me realize just how important magic was to me, but not necessarily the game itself. It was a lot more about the community and my friends that I was playing with. So when I moved over to England, um, I tried to find like new playgroups and stuff 
and it just it just wasn't the same you know it wasn't the same so uh, very shortly after i went over to england i played in a few tournaments while while i was there i like day two grand prix uh, liverpool and stuff like that but um I really just stopped playing Magic after a while or playing Magic frequently because of uh, my friend group just not being there anymore. From then on, what was your next uh, your next game? What was your next next step into? Uh, was it Hearthstone? Was that around the time Hearthstone was released? Yeah. So uh, that was actually a very natural transition into Hearthstone. So the same story, I was, I believe, in the summer of my third year. And I had come back uh, to the U.S. for the summer. I visited my brothers in Austin. And my brothers, they were playing this game where I was like, man, what is this nerdy cartoon card game that essentially just looks like a children's version of Magic the Gathering? And so they're like, yeah, come come, come on, Vincent. Come come and play uh, and uh, try this Hearthstone. I, I, I think you'll like it. It's, uh, it's pretty different. Um, you know, I just touched it a little bit just played a little bit of hearthstone and from that day i don't think i think i didn't sleep for like 48 hours again and um during that entire summer it was like i was so addicted that i would play like straight up 20 hours of hearthstone then i would sleep for like the three hours then i would get up uh shower eat like order something from uh, uber eats and then play more hearthstone and that was the rest of my summer so I got extremely addicted to Hearthstone again, you know, yet another card game. And when I came back to the uh, UK, it was a game that I didn't need a friend group to play with. Hmm. It was a game that I could just play online, just play with myself, play with uh, other people. And um, it was uh, not too long after I started playing Hearthstone that I started hitting a legend in uh, in Hearthstone, which which is like the highest um, the highest rank. And uh, shortly after that, it was it was a really, really random series of events where it was on Facebook, one of the Hearthstone Facebook groups I was in. They were looking for some professional player or some uh, some high level player so that they can send out to some events. And I applied and, and they were like, oh, yeah, well, go play in this open tournament online and see how you do. And so they had me play in like three open tournaments and out of like 200, 256 players, I got like uh like top like top four in every single one or whatever and then they're like all right well uh you're on and then so they so they helped send me out to my first esports tournament which was insomnia 57 uh i57 and um at this time i was completely noob you know i was like wow i can't believe that i that i can like uh travel to play a video game that i enjoy and uh, that 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 there's a team out there that can send me a jersey and pay for like, uh, you know, like a third of my travel or whatever. I was so excited back then. Um, what team was this? So it was uh, it was called Divine Esports. It just, you know, just like a random esports org that 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 you see pop up every once in a while that some guy makes out of his garage kind of thing. Yeah. So they're not around anymore. Uh, I, I don't actually know, but you know, it's like a really, um, grassroots esports organization. So got it. It was, uh, <laughs> it, it was, it was my first experience getting into esports. So, uh, that, so that tournament insomnia 57, I was like, man, there's not much time left. It was less than a week before it was, uh, it was, uh, it was starting and it was so last minute that I couldn't even find a hotel. 
So uh, what I had to do was I had to um, I had to sleep on the floor in the indoor camping area. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if anyone anyone out there has ever done that. My biggest suggestion is to never do it. It's actually the worst <laughs> thing ever. Just stay home. Um, yeah, but in that in the indoor camping area, I brought my sleeping bag. I I uh, my my paper thin sleeping bag and I slept on the concrete floor. It was actually just the worst thing ever. Oh man. Yeah, we've we've all we've all gone through the early the early ones of us have all gone through something like that before, I think. Um I definitely have stories like that too. Oh man. It's it's uh it's one of those memories that I wouldn't change if I if I could, but I certainly would not do that again. <laughs> so how was the tournament experience itself? How was your first I mean, I guess you you had played in tournaments before, right? In in Magic. I had played in tournaments, yeah, but it was quite different, I guess. How how so? Was this the first one that was broadcast or Yeah, it so the thing about magic is that it never really felt like esports, you know. Mm, even yeah. e- even in this day and age, uh very very infrequently does it feel like esports. But at Insomnia with Hearthstone, it was like this huge event where there were like, I don't even know how many people were at the NEC, like, I don't know, like 100,000 or whatever. And there and there are just so many people there. There's just so many games going on. And uh, and you could spell like the uh, competition and the uh, money in the air. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, which, which that never really happened at Magic events, at least the Magic events that uh, I played in. So um, it was it was a BYOC. So you brought your own computer and you sat and you sat in the LAN area and you played the tournament and uh, it was broadcasted. Hmm. So I did uh, pretty decently in the main tournament, but uh, I brought like a really really bad deck and I got just extremely wrecked. Um, after that, I played in the side tournament, which was actually a pretty big side tournament, and uh, my friend Elky ended up winning that. Uh, our friend Elky, yeah, and um, and uh, in that tournament, I had made the top eight, but after sleeping in the indoor camping area on the concrete, my body was so exhausted that my first match of that day, I just completely punted it away. Um, and I was pretty frustrated at myself because at the time I was very new in esports, and I was like, all right, well. I'm going to come in with the mindset that I'm going to win. You know, like I'm going to come in and I'm going to win. I'm going to play my best and I'm not going to take no as an answer kind of thing, which I've changed, you know, since then, because you can't really have that mindset because it's not really a, it's not really that healthy, but uh, it was a fun experience. And there I actually met a lot of, a lot of the UK uh, Hearthstone community. One of the people I met there was uh, Aquablod, uh, Nick Aquablod Seckler, who was uh, one of the early commentators for the professional Hearthstone main championship ter- uh, series. And uh, through meeting him, he actually invited me on to his to his uh, community tournament hosting. So he hosted some community tournaments called uh, Gosu Gamers. So from my very first esports tournament was actually uh, where I had the opportunity to do my very first esports commentating, mm. and uh, we did that for a few months before um, before Nick and I both left uh, left to go to gamers there. Got it. So so that was that was sort of another random thing that that kind of just happened. 
Yeah, and I don't know if that still happens in esports, but at least in the early days, or 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 early days, like the earlier days of 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 my esports career, that happened a lot. You know, where you would get out and you would get and you would talk to people, and some certain opportunities would come up. So let's let's go go back a little bit to your first tournament uh, here. How how did that feel? What was the reason that you uh, that mm-hmm. you feel you didn't perform as well? And what would you change if you you know if you play it now? So looking back, I think that one of the main things is that I had no idea what to expect. Um, this idea of people being mm. able to play games for money and for a living was just absolutely mind-blowing to me, even someone who's, you know, been a gamer basically my entire life. We'd like to thank our partners at Elgato, without whom this podcast wouldn't be possible. They provided much of the equipment used for all of our recording sessions. Elgato is the leading provider of hardware and software for content creators, leveraging decades of experience to develop widely accessible products that empower all creators to produce high-quality, professional content. Elgato has provided us with a reliable 4K 60 Pro capture card, professional key light lighting, and a customizable stream deck, enabling us to pull off pretty much anything we can think of. Head over to elgato.com to see their full product line. Looking back on it, I didn't really know what to expect, but I think if I could go back, um, is basically the way that I look at tournaments and I look at uh, just gaming in general now is that you still just have to keep it fun. So whenever you put so much pressure on yourself and you don't, and especially when you don't perform and you're going to not perform more times than you do perform, in my opinion, that's just the nature of uh, competitive gaming. Mm. And looking back on that, I think I would have just uh, put a little bit less pressure on myself because that sort of high pressure um, mindset that that I set on myself actually uh, later down the line mm. actually got me in a lot of trouble, um, like mentally and physically. So, got it. Makes sense. Um... And um, since since uh, you kind of again you kind of randomly fell into this position where you suddenly played for an esports team and got sent to events, um, on that on that way or maybe or maybe further along the line, what what were your biggest hurdles uh, getting into things and turning it into a career? So I think that the two biggest hurdles I had, especially at this time was first of all just being a nobody you know it's everybody starts off as a nobody um whether mm. whether they would admit it or not but everyone kind of starts off as a nobody and it's really hard to figure out how to make other people value you when when essentially you know you don't even value yourself you're like well i'm a nobody i'm here new to the scene why would people like to listen to me talk and so that was a very big hurdle that I that I had to get over. And in all honesty, I still haven't completely gotten over it. I think that that's just something that you just try to get better with uh, day by day, month by month. And um, the next thing was actually figure, figuring out like how to get these things in the first place. It's like, well, I don't think I deserve to you know get commentating gigs and stuff. But even if that's true, how do I go about getting it? So um. 
what I did was I did a lot of commentating with the uh, Ghost of Gamers cast, and then I tried to leverage that uh, by you know reaching out to reaching out to uh, to random people who hosted uh, events and stuff, uh, big or small. And um, you know I got a few small gigs here and there. The breaking point there was actually when uh, Raven. So Raven, he is a he is a, one of the main commentators for the uh, Hearthstone Championship tier, uh, the Hearthstone Championship tournament series. He actually had uh, recommended me as a backup commentator for ESL UK's Hearthstone League, together with a uh, Daniel Falcone, and that was my like big, like my first big studio Hearthstone commentating cast. Hmm. So uh, we did that event, and we had so much fun. But it turned out that actually the majority of the people who are watching, uh, specifically the UK Hearthstone scene, actually just, they completely hated it. <laughs> they, they, they completely hated our cast. And uh, I think part of that was there was this, there was this essence of uh, you know, us being new and especially in the UK, in, in the UK gaming scene, there's a lot of people who, are, who, who talk about like people who deserve things. So like, oh, well, they work so hard, they deserve this win. Uh, this person works so hard, he deserves to uh, commentate or she, you know, deserves to host kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, they didn't think that we deserved to cast that tournament. So <laughs> it was actually the worst. And uh, back then, my skin wasn't as thick as, as it is now. So I was just... Uh, I, I was just extremely miserable and I was like, okay, I'm going to quit gaming and commentating. And um, it was around this time when the talent scout at Jinx Esports TV, at, at, at the Jinx Esports TV station in London, uh, his, his name's Ballant, he watched that cast that Falcone and I did and he loved my energy on there. So mm. what he did was that he brought me on as a Hearthstone specialist for their uh, TV show, Jinx Esports Live. And um, so obviously I agreed to it. On mm. on that day that we were uh, that the show was going to go live, I was, for some reason, I was insanely sick. I got so ill on that day. But I dragged my butt to the station and uh, we put on the show. And after that, it turned out that they loved it so much that the clips of that segment ended up as uh, the main part of the reel that they showed to potential investors who wanted to invest mm. in the in the TV station. So, um, you know, after following this kind of completely uh, train wreck, this complete train wreck of a cast with Falcone and I <laughs> at uh, eSport, at, at, at ESL UK, um, I got a really, really big break um, with a Jinx TV so was that what kind of pulled you out of things? Like, do, do you feel that that was sort of the, the, the sole breaking point for, you know, you wanted to quit, everything was kind of meh, and then they reached out and, and you, were, you, you suddenly forget, forgot about everything? Yeah, so I think within not only my esports career, but probably most people who work in this industry is that you get these thoughts all the time. You're like, oh man, well, I, well, it's probably time to quit. You know, it's time to move on to something else. And, uh, mm. you know, I, I've had that thought like a hundred times since then. But at this time, it was kind of my first time thinking that because up until then, I loved like this uh, sort of professional gaming world and talking about video games and uh, explaining kind of my philosophies of how to play the game. 
And here, um, at Jinx TV, it was it it definitely took a lot of weight off my shoulders because it was like, wow, it feels so good to be wanted uh, once again after um, it seemed like nobody wanted to listen to you anymore. Um, and so it was. Uh, so they loved me on on the Jinx Esports live show. And then also around that time, Jinx TV was starting up their their like super new esports TV talk show, which was called The Bridge. And so um, they loved me so much on my Hearthstone segment uh, that uh, they brought me on as a permanent co-host for uh, for the show. So that was where I met like Frankie Ward and Machine, um, Heather Naysayer Dowers, uh, Nyseria, Shauna Nina, and a bunch of other really prominent members of the uh, esports community and you know at this time they're all way bigger than i was and i was like do i even really deserve to be in a place like this just because like you know machine uh alex alex machine richardson one of the one of the best if not potentially the best esports commentator of all time in my opinion just sitting there across the table from me but uh it was it was a fantastic experience um I ended up doing that for, I believe, over a year. Uh, in the end there, it was mainly with Frankie. So, like, uh, Frankie Ward and I were on there. Um, and I think I, I think at the end of it, I I, uh, I had banked about 200 uh, live hours on television. So that's a pretty good thing for my esports resume, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Did you, did you still play competitively during that time at all? Yep. So during this time, um, I actually was on a new team. So uh, this is a team called a uh, Reason Gaming and they're actually like uh, I in the context of the UK I think that they're actually one, uh one of the most um uh well-known teams. And uh so I was playing professionally for Reason Gaming. So I was traveling around to uh, Dreamhack Sweden, to Dreamhack Valencia and and all of these tournaments and stuff, just jet setting around the world, uh playing in these in these uh, Hearthstone tournaments, while also at the same time doing the Jinx TV esports show, and also at the same time uh, picking up like commentary gigs, random Hearthstone commentary gigs uh, around the country as well. And all of this was while I was also doing my master's degree at the London School of Economics. So um, I basically tried to live like three lives at the same time. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but, life at 200, at 200 kilometers an hour. And that's actually the way that I like to live in general. But did, did that, was that what helped you or allowed you to, to do it professionally? Like to, to kind of focus on things full time? Um, you mean like, you mean like just, just having a lot of opportunities? The, the, the combination of doing everything at once kind of, you know, diving headfirst into esports and doing nothing else anymore, basically. Yeah. So, you know, in the same way that I had that I played Tetris or in the same way that I first started playing Magic or first started playing Hearthstone, I always just, you know, get extremely addicted to something and I have a very like mm. a one tracked mind. Once I'm once I set my mind on something, it's either it's going to happen or I'm going to destroy myself. So, yeah, <laughs> that's generally it's, it's how that it is that uh, obsessive personality yeah like i am completely obsessive uh with absolutely everything so like for example streaming last year streaming last year uh, i streamed for 2400 hours and so that averages out to 50 hours a week and that wasn't even including like the 30 hours i would spend every week uh, working on like sponsorship deals and working on offline content 
stuff for the stream. And I traveled a lot as well. I did some commentating gigs and some random other gigs for Magic the Gathering for Wizards of the Coast as well. So it's like, basically, I've just got no chill, you know what I mean? But that yeah, definitely helped. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, it definitely helped. Um, so the way that I look at things is that at the end of my life, at the end of my esports career, I wish to be one-tenth as good as Frankie Ward and uh, and a machine, you know what I mean, in terms of commentating and esports stuff. You know, for people who don't have that natural talent of talking and the talent for doing the things they love, I feel like you just got to put in the hours, man. I just put in all that work and here now I'm just a fraction better than I was before. So uh, <laughs> this is a uh, this is a great point um, for for kind of putting in the hours and learning all these things. Have you uh, during any of that? Have you had anyone to to help you out? Like anyone that's been giving you advice? Um, a mentor, basically? I think that's very interesting. I always looked at potentially at of at voice lessons and stuff like that um, and uh, talking classes. But for the most part, I really nobody helped me in terms of like me getting better outside of like, you know, the, outside of the time that I spent working with people. There's there's been a lot of people in my esports career that have that have immensely helped me out. Like, for example, in streaming, uh, a lot of the other bigger Magic the Gathering streamers and the Hall of Famers, they all have contributed so much to my channel that I feel like I can never pay that back. Not not within a lifetime. Um, but in terms of actually me getting better, I think that it's really hard to, you know, find help for stuff like that, especially in a new industry. Um, there's not really much self-help out there about getting better at commentating and stuff like that, but I would watch, you know, Machine talk about things, or I would watch Day 9 talk about something and just try to pick up on these uh, certain qualities that I liked and the, and the qualities that I felt that I missed or that I was missing in uh, my own commentating. Got it. And um, so, so since you've not really had a sing singular person, is there anything that someone said to you, like any piece of advice that really stuck out to you to, to this day? Yeah, so um, one, of my, one of my good friends, his name is Cassius Kiani, and uh, well, he, well, he's a mutual of both of ours. And um, he, was the, he was the old uh, owner of uh, Torpedo... Uh, torpedo gaming i believe they're called like mm. torpedo esports we really clicked it off just because we were very similar people but uh it was somehow in some sort of drunken night somewhere we both came up with like this philosophy of if you if you don't ask you don't get so i think that that has actually been the most important thing for me in esports just understanding that you know if like the price of asking for something is actually not that high, and if you don't ask, then uh, you're not going to get. So I really used that philosophy um, in every single aspect of my gaming career uh, since that point um, up until now. Though uh, I will mention that um, in recent times, I found something even more important than asking. So even though asking is very important. One thing that's more important than asking is actually to uh, do. So you can ask all you want and you can try to look for all these opportunities, but 
at the end of the day, the best way to do things, especially if people don't want to hire you for their cast and stuff because you're a nobody uh, like I was or like I still am to some extent, is to find out ways to be able to do things yourself. It's like, well, I want to commentate on something, but no one's going to hire me. Well, okay, I'm just going to start my YouTube series where I'm going to practice commentating on these events. So figure out what you can do for yourself today instead of uh, what you can wait for someone to reply to you after you ask. Yep, yep, for sure. Um, and I, I always like to ask, uh, and you've, you've kind of let me there. <laughs> you've kind of let me there now. I always like to let, ask this question of what are the top three pieces of advice you would give someone who's trying to get into esports competitively? And you've just given us two, right? Okay. Ask, ask for things yep. and just do. What's the, what's the third thing that you would tell people? Maybe, maybe more focused on the competitive play side. So I think uh, instead of a competitive um, or before talking about a a competitive play environment, I think one of the most important things for people who are getting into the industry, uh, especially trying to make connections and to um, make friends in the industry around them, is that just try to talk to people like they're normal people. Uh, Because one one of the most important things for me is that people can tell when you're sincere. People can tell when you've put in that work yourself. You know what I mean? So the thing is that it's very important to not to to try to not befriend people only for uh, collaboration and 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 for opportunities to essentially not try to uh, to capitalize on somebody else's success to make to to bring yourself up. So um, the story. So the moral of the story here for me is that don't try to look for an easy route up to the top either with a big collaboration or with a viral video or even have that mindset in the first place. Because a lot of people are like, well, you know, things aren't going well and I need to, and I need to get lucky. And indeed, you do need to get lucky, but don't expect that luck to come. You know what I mean? It's very important to be uh, trying to make to try to make things happen without relying on that luck. Put in the hard work. Other people can recognize when you put in the hard work. And so uh, instead of waiting for something to happen, again, going back, um, ask and do, but don't wait. Yeah. I mean, do is the the best piece of advice there, right? Yeah. Do means, you know, if you hustle, if you put in the work, if you're consistent, you will, not only will you get better at what you're doing, but you'll also create more opportunities for yourself, right? You will create more chances for you to get lucky. Exactly, exactly. Like you're essentially creating your own luck. And uh that's an ongoing story, you know, as mm. as a as a as a generic as generic of advice as that may sound is that every every single person in this industry, whether they're medium sized or uh or big, is that they're all like that. You know, everyone is putting in that work, they put in absurd hours, mm. they're basically giving up their lives, their livelihoods. Uh, trying to balance or or a lot of times not even balance like a lot of people just don't have balance in life like like me at the moment i have no balance in life it's just all work but um just don't try to get lucky uh and uh, and just see what you what you can do for yourself so in your career you've gone from tetris grandmaster over playing magic physically to a long period of time playing Hearthstone and commentating of a Hearthstone, and now you're 
uh, you're back to Magic, uh, but uh, on the on the PC, right? Magic: The Gathering, the arena. Mm-hmm. Um, was there was there any sort of struggle getting back into the game? And how did you how did you actually go from Hearthstone to being back at the top of your game in a new game? Yeah. So. Um... So after I left the UK, this was the end of my Jinx Esports TV uh, hosting career. Um, I moved back to the US here at my parents' house, and I continued to play Magic for. Oh, sorry, I continued to play Hearthstone for um, for a team called Team Genji. And uh, so I was playing Hearthstone, and I was grinding away, and uh, I was going to tournaments and stuff. But overall, I was getting extremely mediocre results. So I was like, I was always stressed out about getting finishes and I like, ended up, um, and I ended up uh, not actually performing to uh, kind of like what I expected for myself and what my teammates and my friends expected of me. And so I was getting extremely sick, both in my body and my mind. So um, my last tournament actually was a uh, DreamHack Summer 2018. So, uh, to, uh, in that Hearthstone tournament, at the end of the Hearthstone tournament, all all of the stress building up and all of the uh, unhappiness that I was experiencing, it manifested itself uh, actually on the last leg of the flight back home to here to Houston. So uh, I actually, on the plane, I had a resurgence of my childhood asthma, and on that plane, I nearly died, like, through suffocation. Um, so shortly, so, uh, I ended up getting hospitalized and after that I was like, wow, this is a huge wake up call for me. I don't think I can play Hearthstone anymore. This is just something that is not healthy and this is not what I want for myself. So, um, after that I silently left, I silently left Hearthstone behind. So I had started to look for jobs in the esports industry to find a way to like still be in esports, but not actually as a player. Um, so during this time, I was like doing a random uh, freelance market analysis and consulting for uh, various brands. I was uh, I was uh, working uh, I I was working basically for free for a lot of these esports black uh, uh, blockchain startups, which which I'm sure if you remember at that time it was like all the rave. Yeah. There were like new esports blockchain startups start starting up uh, every single day. Um, but, uh, they all uh, seem to evaporate into thin air after the, uh, great Bitcoin crash of, of that year. So, uh, at, at the end of 2018, I was extremely broke. I had $200 in my name and I was like, wow, what the hell am I going to do with my life? Um, so at that point, it was another moment where I was like, well, I think it's time to quit esports entirely now, uh. And just move on to like a normie job. Maybe try to find something in tech or something. Uh, but then, you know, once again, Balant, who rescued me from my depths of despair previously and brought me onto Jinx TV uh, at TwitchCon that year, he was like, well, you know, you've tried everything else, but why not try now to stream every single day at the same time and uh, see what happens? You know, like this, this can be your last hurrah in esports. And uh, to see if, um, you know, if you don't make it this time, then you can go on and move on to other stuff. You know, he had a lot of faith in me when uh, when when I didn't have faith in myself. So. um, So uh, starting off in 2019, 
I started just YOLO streaming Magic the Gathering, Magic the Gathering Arena, uh, every single day at the same time. So, you know, sometimes I was late, like five or ten minutes, but basically at the same time every single day. Didn't miss a single day uh, earlier on in the year. And um, and uh, that really, you know, just took my stream off. So consistency uh, is one of those things that people talk about a lot, but it's extremely valuable in terms of streaming. Um, at the same time, I also was working on uh, content creation in terms of my card tier lists for draft. So I acknowledged that at that time, there weren't really these resources available for players, and uh, all of the all of the guides and the tier lists that people were using at the time to help them with draft card evaluations, uh, they were all outdated. So I created um, I created up to date ones, and I used that a, as a way to leverage or market my stream as kind of like uh, the limited specialist Deathsea. You know what I mean? If you want to learn more about limited, then you come here. So that's essentially all I do now. I just stream Magic the Gathering Limited. And uh, a lot of that success was not only from my tier list, but from <laughs> streaming that 50 hours a week, you know. Like, if you can't make it, just stream 50 hours a week, forehead. Getting back to the level where you're actually in this position to be creating content uh, and, and seen as someone who's really, really good at the game... What is something that you would tell people to do or some advice you could give to people uh, when they try to get there? So I think one important thing in, in branding yourself, not only as a player, but also as a streamer, is to just just to find, or I guess to just understand that not everybody can brand themselves as a competitive player, I think. So you need to find other ways to, to uh, market yourself and to present yourself that is valuable but not necessarily through high level gameplay and i think that a lot of streamers actually do that very well um, and there are various ways to do that but um for people who are looking to get into the competitive scene in any in 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 any game um at all is i think to just try to have as much fun as possible and to take things one step at a time because if your mindset from the get-go is just to become a competitive gamer, especially uh, without that foundation or that skill set to support that, and honestly, even with that skill set, like there are so many people who are so good out there who are not making um, actual livings as a competitive gamer. So you really need to uh, try to balance your life, try to balance like the amount of work you put in towards competitive gaming, towards streaming, and just try to be realistic with it while also having fun. Hmm. Fair enough. So for you personally, what what's your what's your next step in your career? So the next things for me is that I'm actually working really hard on my YouTube right now. So I took off going from essentially 7 days a week streaming down to a 4 now and uh, I'm spending that time to work on my YouTube content. Um, and uh, creating guides and stuff on YouTube uh, as a way to, uh, you know, to keep me interested in the content creation side of things as well. Because uh, one of the biggest things as a streamer, especially for people who put in as many hours as I do, is uh, to try to not get burnt out. You know, like the moment you get burnt out, it's really hard to get to come back from that. But um, 
in addition to my YouTube, uh, by the end of this year, I want to be starting like some sort of clothing, uh, some sort of esports clothing company. So I'm current. I'm currently laying the foundation for that and reaching out to people. Long story short, about that is that I just don't like the kind of clothes that are offered in the esports and gaming world because they all look dumb on me. So um, I'm gonna want to find. I'm gonna find a way to bring like more esports technology. Uh, sorry, more uh, fashion technology to esports and uh, to create something that people are happy to wear, whether they're a fan of me or not. That's cool. Looking forward to seeing more of that. Definitely for sure. And uh, at at the end of the day, you know, I'm always just looking for the next goal because for me, without goals, without something to work towards, I can't really get out of the bed in the morning. So I love to have these like crazy goals. For for example, one of my uh, goals for the end of my life is to like eventually own my own city. So it's like, I like to have these incredibly unrealistic goals as much as I was just talking about being realistic, you know. It's like you need to be you need to be realistic while also holding on to these unrealistic goals as well. Sure, sure, absolutely. You yeah. need to you need to dream big otherwise, you know, you got to work towards that big dream and even if you only get halfway to it, right? You've achieved a lot. So Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Definitely understand that that way of thinking. Um I have I have one question I always like to ask our guests. Um which is, if you were if you were given one tweet that is guaranteed to go viral, what would that be? Hmm. If I was given one tweet that was guaranteed for a bunch of people in the world to see, what would yep. that tweet be? Hmm. Probably just a big XD, because because <laughs> why not? <laughs> just a big XD. All right. How about you let our listeners know where where they can find you, where they can uh, stay in touch with you, watch watch some of your content, and so on? Yeah, so uh, feel free to come hang out and chat about Magic the Gathering or not about Magic. I, I derail my stream and conversations quite a bit, talking about life and stuff. But uh, you can find me on twitch.tv slash deathsea. That's death, S-I-E. And you can find me on twitter.com slash deathsea, YouTube deathsea, Instagram deathsea. You can find everything just by typing in death, S-I-E, on, on a Google. So, What about the clothing brand? Is that too far in the future? Yeah, that's too far in the future. That's too far in the future. But if you follow my socials and follow my stream, then uh, when that time comes, that will, um, that will present itself as well. All right. Well, thanks so much for, uh, for coming on and, and talking to me uh, about your career. And uh, I, hope, I hope the listeners learned something from this. Thank you so much, Phil, and also Challenge Mode. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Esports Odyssey. If you enjoyed this episode, you can follow Challenge Mode on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, where we announce all new episodes and share podcast-related news. You'll find all of our socials in the show notes. Feel free to email us at podcast.challengemode.com if you have any questions from this or any other episodes, or if you would like to learn more about Challenger Mode and what we do.